Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Dyer and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, October 27th. This week brought a message that hate will not win and love will always prevail. So said a spokesperson from Club Q in Colorado Springs when announcing that the bar is going to reopen in a new location with a new name, the Q. We are approaching the month when last year five people were killed in a shooting inside that bar. And now another bar and a bowling alley on the other side of the country have been the targets of another shooter. And we are again heartbroken that another community is mourning. As we start off this week's show, I just want to acknowledge the painful memories and feelings that must be brought up in, down in the springs and sympathize with all of those in our state who have experienced this kind of violence. Our panel is back this week after last week's show when we had a conversation with Denver Mayor Mike Johnston regarding his first 100 days in office. Welcome to Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward. Krista Kafer, columnist with the Denver Post. Tyrone Glover, civil rights and criminal defense attorney here in Denver. And also Chris Rourke, managing editor at the Denver Business Journal. Since last we were all together at this table, our ballots have arrived at our homes. Governor Polis is really talking up HH and talking, not talking about what a plan B is if it were to fail. And we've also seen a Coloradan admit to trying to delay the clarification of the votes in the 2020 election. It's been a lot going on this week. A certification, not clarification. Uh, Patty, there's been a lot going on. There's a lot going on, and there's going to be still more going on up ahead. It's interesting that the ballots and HH, the big debates for, for this November's ballot, but we're also looking ahead. So we're looking at the presidential primary. You know, a certain person at this table is part of a lawsuit that is challenging Donald Trump being able to be on the presidential primary in Colorado, saying it's a violation of the 14th Amendment. What is also a violation of common sense, it seems to me, is we're, according to the Colorado Sun, great report that Republican presidential candidates to be on the ballot in Colorado you know, the Republicans get to approve who's on the ballot, they have to pay $40,000. Now, Trump already has paid $40,000, or you could pay $20,000 and come to the state once, and you also have to agree to talk about how excited you are to be on the Colorado ballot. It's a very strange move by the Colorado Republican Party, which has already made plenty of strange moves. So, but let's go backwards, that's next year, but we're still in 2020, and Jenna Ellis, a former Weld County DA, uh, is the fourth person now to plea, take a plea in the Georgia election denier case that is going that is really going to be fascinating. She has ple pleaded guilty to one felony. You know, she's got to talk. She's got a podcast now. She's definitely still talking. But in court, she said she took the advice of older, more experienced lawyers and blamed it on them. So we'll see what happens to John Eastman next and Trump. Not a lawyer, but. He's sure uh, going to be interesting in the next year. Mm -hmm. Krista. So normally I like bagging on the uh, Colorado Republican Party because they're, well, they're nuts. And uh, this time, though, I, I'm, not, I'm not sticking up for the $40,000 thing. I just want to say that it used to be that both parties did this. And up until about 10 years ago, it was kind of common. And it is done in other states. Now, I do think it's a bad idea because... It looks bad. It looks like you're like shaking down candidates. Like, you want to come here, you got to pay some cash. And, you know, so far, too, the, the uh, governor of, of North Dakota, it's a pretty solid candidate, and Trump have both, have both paid their dues, so to speak. But it is a little weird. I mean, you want to come here, you get a, you, you got to pay. I think they're doing it now because they can't seem to make money any other way. All of their donors have fallen away. Not all, but quite a few, simply because they, they, they just, 
they're so fringy that average Republicans want nothing to do with them. There's so much party rebuilding that needs to be done in this state. This is a great time to do it with stupid stuff on the ballot like HH, uh, Prop HH, the biggest tax increase in our, probably our state's history. Republicans could be gaining ground right now. Instead, they're shaking down candidates and putting out creepy tweets. Okay. Tyrone. I'd like to return to Jenna Ellis, our former Weld County prosecutor. Uh, having handled a number of cases or over the years in federal court on the defense side, um, I've seen this playbook a, a number of times. We're looking at four folks so far um, who've all pled guilty. They've all accepted responsibility. They're getting largely probation and small fines. But the thing that I'm really keying in on is this agreement to cooperate with things going forward. If you know anything about federal prosecutions, what you know is that they're not just going after the little fish, they're going after the big fish. And the way that they do that is they go around and they pick off all of the people from the lowest ends of the pyramid and work their way up until eventually that house of cards falls. So seeing all of these folks you know, starting to plead guilty, um, I think we're just getting started. And I think what's ultimately going to carry the day in these uh, criminal prosecutions is all the folks that are going to turn. And I think that her allocution uh, during her sentencing is really telling about the way things might go. Mm -hmm. Chris. Well, just uh, keying off of what Krista said, if you take those two candidates that have paid to be on the ballot out of the mix, it shows that the Colorado GOP has only raised like $27,000. This also comes at a time when they have not said a peep about the state assembly next spring. Those plans have to go into motion and deposits need to be paid, and there hasn't been one word about that. But, you know, other races we're watching is the uh, Denver Public School Board race. And Kwame Spearman came out this week with an endorsement, endorsement from Lisa Calderon. He's also embraced the endorsement of the, the teachers union. And that's quite a juxtaposition from the mayor's race. When he ran for mayor, um, Mike Johnston was viewed as being perhaps more progressive. And Kwame sort of had that moderate appeal to some voters. Now Johnston has come out and supported the candidates that are not being supported by you know, the teachers union. And I see you know, Spearman trying to position himself as being more progressive on education, while you know, Johnston looks like the reformer. So that's going to be a really interesting race to watch. Mm -hmm. Just a couple of weeks left. And the HH you mentioned, you know, it was interesting this week and Nine News and Denver Gazette had a, a debate and the governor was asked, what do we do if this fails? And then the Colorado, he didn't say, and the Colorado Republicans are out this week saying we need a special session. I think we are. I mean, because you, you can't even turn on, um, you know, I, 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 I got to confess, I watch dog videos on, on Facebook and they all have like, you know, ads attached to them, and the HH ads are just coming out over and over again. I think the no on HH is really doing a, a lot of work to get the message out there that this is a big tax increase. I don't know what the polling looks like, but I have a hunch it may be in danger of going down, in which case polls is going to need a plan B. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it, the more com complex it is, and it's complicated. People are mm -hmm. very confused by it the more the odds are that people will vote no because they just don't get it. Yeah. Okay. I really think that special session is, is the key. You know, Rose Puglisi, Representative Rose Puglisi, was a part of that debate that uh, Governor Polis took part in. And she pushed back on him. She says, why not call this special session? Why not hammer it out? Let us come up with a plan. Um, I, I think that she showed the practical side of why this doesn't work for Coloradans. 
And really, the special session, he would not commit to it, and he does not have a plan B. Mm -mm. After we get through November the 7th, Election Day, the 13th will follow. And that is the day the Denver City budget for next year must be passed per the city's charter. And Krista, city council members are, you know, tr saying they're going to overrule Mayor Johnston because they want more money than what he is offering to them to prevent more people from becoming homeless, which is the, you know, um, assistance for people with rent, rent problems. I, you know, I think it just shows that the honeymoon is probably over. Um, the squabbling has begun between the, you know, the mayor and the council, even though they're all, they're all Democrats. But uh, even in single rule, um, you're going to have these kinds of squabbles. And I think it's no wonder that Mike, rather than weighing in on that, decided to take a shot at the Republican Party in a tweet against Mike Johnson, the person who was just elected to be speaker. And I, I, I don't think it was a good idea that he did that for, for a couple of reasons. Mike, Mike Johnston is a very nice guy. He's a nice guy. He's a thoughtful guy. He is a, a person who, um, not only do I think that that's true about him, but he's also, that's kind of his brand, right? Um, he's not the partisan puncher. And so to put out this tweet that said, you know, I'm Mike Johnston. T's make a difference. I'm not Mike Johnson, um, who's, you know, put some things that are true. I mean, he was an election denier, and that is a shame. But then he takes a shot at the fact that Mike Johnson's pro-life, and there's a lot of pro-life Denverites. So that, I don't know, I just, I, it was not the thoughtfulness that I've come to expect from Mike Johnston. Um, I say, you know, rather than going around smacking around Republicans, uh, d deal with your own counsel mm -hmm. um, and do something, that, some things that the city really needs. Tyrone. They are saying that eviction filings might hit 12,000 by the end of this year, which would be a record for our city. All right, and therein lies the problem. I think Councilman Cashman uh, put it well, and I'll paraphrase, where he said, we need to shut down the pipeline. Um, it doesn't matter if you're getting folks off the street and into these tiny homes, if they can't afford rent to eventually get out of them. And if you have people you know, getting loaded up into this pipeline, 12,000 is the estimate, and it's only going to get worse, it's only going to compound, who are then finding themselves on the street, then suddenly you're in this gridlocked problem. So um, I agree, we need to address affordable housing as well as homelessness, and it really needs to be a priority in the budget. I understand the budget needs to be balanced, but I think we're just really setting ourselves up uh, for some serious issues going forward if we're not addressing this thing on both ends. Mm -hmm. Chris. Well, I think there's always going to be a, a push-me-pull-me situation with council and the mayor. But Chris is right. This is the first sign of what could be a lot of struggle in the years ahead, that relationship between the mayor and council. You know, uh, council pushed back on him and asked four times what they asked of Mayor Michael Hancock the previous year. Um, the mayor has said and made good points. Look, we have to have a reserve in the case of an emergency. We have to have a balanced budget. So where else are you going to cut? You know, that, that's the question. Um, there's this dynamic between the far left and the left that there's going to be a struggle. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see. And, and I looked at the letter that M Mayor Johnston sent back to um, council. It was very respectful. You know, he's trying to remain that respectful dialogue. But is this a sign of trouble ahead? It might be. Mm -hmm. And he's saying he doesn't want to give up the reserves because, like, the migrant situation right. could get even bigger and tax into our emergency Monday. No Monday. city wants to, to right. deplete their reserves. Right. No. Yeah. Well, let me disagree with Krista on the tweet I thought was hilarious that Mike Johnston sent it out. I think he 
was showing. Uh, he definitely has plenty of personality. He has been surprisingly aggressive, I think, on a lot of issues in this first 100 days. Um, but for him to point out, yes, that the new Speaker of the House is an election denier, I think that's a good thing for him to do, especially given that Dominion Voting Systems is based here in Colorado and took horrible hits because of those election deniers. The fact that he's pro-choice, Colorado has set itself up to be a sanctuary for people who are now denied the uh, possibility of having an abortion. That is something that in Denver, people, for the most part, endorse. I don't think it's a problem for him to say, this is what I think. Also, you've seen Mike Johnston really get down and deal with the sweeps. It's something he promised he would do. It's divisive on all sides because it's just so difficult to get people the kind of help they may need but may not know how to get, may not want. Uh, we've got a sweep that's going to go on quite close to this uh, studio soon where 50 people will go into housing. He's got to keep finding more housing, but at least he's pushing forward. It sounds like when we were talking with him last week that December, a lot of things, of places will open up for temporary housing. Well, he's got, he's got um, what, 600 units supposedly mm -hmm. coming online. He's got foreign camp of uh, the micro-communities started. So he may, he may make it, but mm. we've got to all look at the numbers on how many people stay in housing, how many people are able to move into rental housing afterwards. Right, right. All right. Also this week, U.S. District Court Judge Daniel Domenico made two decisions that block Colorado from enforcing new laws that are tied to free exercise of religion, Tyrone. Yes, and again, we see sort of SCOTUS coming here to Colorado to roost. And while our jurists are not politicians, they do and they are informed, I think, by uh, how they interpret the Constitution. And there are um, oftentimes ways going forward that these jurists uh, interpret things that sort of break down along uh, party lines. For instance, some of the, you know, the originalists or the textualists sometimes typically uh, fall on the more conservative side. Um, but, you know, Domenico wrote um, these two, um, you know, opinions. Uh, they are temporary injunctions, so it's very early on in the litigation, um, and they are temporary, but he does comment on the likelihood of success and also on the merits. So they are very telling, especially because he's going to be uh, the judge going forward. And he gives credence to, you know, Creative 303, uh, Masterpiece Cake Shops, uh, decisions where we had other very re respected justices uh, dissent very uh, vigorously. He gives those full faith, full credit. Uh, to start with the, the Christian Academy uh, case, you know, this is the universal preschool where if you are getting taxpayer money for reimbursement of tuition for folks to come to your preschool, then you have an obligation not to discriminate against the public. Um, similar to our other cases where if you are taking advantage of public infrastructure, public services, public licensure, you are obligated to not discriminate against the public. Um, and they challenged that and Domenico, uh, just Judge Domenico, did find that there uh, was potential merit and a likelihood of success, found that they had standing, found that the issue was ripe, and has issued that temporary injunction. There really are kind of two places um, that we're 
we're really dealing with. One is hiring, and the other one is actually um, on whether they're discriminating against uh, you know, some of the, the, the preschoolers or the, the, the attendees of the academy. And it'll be interesting to see where those break down, because in my opinion, I think that the second place is where, um, you know, if there is going to be a ruling favorable to uh, Colorado and, and the law, we're going to see it. Uh, the second one, uh, you know, really deals with, with Bella Health. Um, I have the opinion right here as well, and this is also kind of a two-part one as well. Uh, the first piece deals with whether, um, you know, essentially a provider can be sanctioned um, for prescribing progesterone as the second pill after the uh, initial abortion pill. And the way that things came out is there just wasn't really a lot of strong evidence or argument put forth that there was a danger um, to prescribing this. There were definitely murkiness around the efficacy of it, but they did not make that compelling reason uh, for, the, for the judge to not enjoin it. But the piece of this one that really, I think, um, I guess I would say irked me, or I was actually surprised was not addressed more, was the advertising piece. This went largely uncontested by our AG. They were essentially, and even the, the district attorneys that were ultimately dismissed from, from the case. Um, the real problem, I think, with, and what I think SB 23190 tried to address was deceptive advertising practices, bringing someone in there, making them think that they're going to get advice around um, you know, uh, getting an abortion, contraception, sterilization, those types of things, and then not providing those services, not even having those services available, and trying to convince them and bring them over to the more sort of life-affirming side. And so what was largely uncontested and is enjoined is they're allowed to advertise that they give comprehensive health care, full continuum of health care, and a full-service family medicine and OBGYN medical center. That is still completely fine. It seems like it's largely not going to be contested by the AG, and that's just not what Bella Health does. So that's the piece that I think, unfortunately, is not going to get hashed out, but is, in my opinion, the most problematic. Chris. Well, I thought it, these two you know, situations are an amazing case for uh, checks and balances. We have three branches of government, and here's one branch of government checking another. Um, in the case of the Chaffee County School, there were no complaints. And the, and the government, the state government, didn't say that there was any kind of violation regarding discrimination. Um, the judge also noted that the governor was kind of flexing and saying, well, the state's going to come in and make sure there is no discrimination. So I, I found uh, his ruling very interesting, it, kind of a pushback and, and a pause button to look at this situation and say, hey, what is going on here? Um, in the case of you know, this this uh, reversal, abortion reversal pill, I did some quick checking on the procedure, and, you know, you were talking about murkiness on whether it's effective or not. I found that it can be 65% effective. Additionally, um, pro-choice should consider that it is a choice to change your mind. So why do lawmakers want to uh, rule against or prohibit a, a treatment that has not proven to be detrimental in any way. I looked that up too. Why are we not uh, outlawing vaping or some of uh, the other things that people choose to do that are detrimental to health? This has not had any impact on, on people's health. And there is some case for efficacy. So it's a choice. 
and some women do choose to do that. So both these cases, really interesting, a great case of checks and balances. Okay. Patty. Or great cases of endless, endless lawsuits and legal bills because yes. this is not going to be decided. I think Tyrone's point about the advertising is really interesting because we've seen in the past deceptive kinds of ads about what clinics are offering and what they are not. Uh, but we also have seen this is just a very confusing issue, especially as you deal with what's happening around the rest of the country in, in the banning of abortions and different procedures for women's health. So th this, we haven't heard the last of this, and it's going to certainly continue. The pre-K program is so great, you just hope it works for those kids who need that kind of education. Um, and it's tough to have it getting bogged down here. I don't know how many preschools there are in Chaffee County, but you're thinking it is good to be able to put kids in preschool. Let's hope uh, they're not uh, they're not discriminating against kids who might come in who have two mommies, but we'll find out because this case isn't over yet. So I think these are both really solid cases. And if a judge gives uh, an injunction, it means that he or she believes that the case is likely to prevail on behalf of those that have brought the case. I've read through the 45-page decision about Bella Health because it's the, the subject of my column this Sunday. And I, I agree with, I think Tyrone did a good description of it, and, and Chris, I think, really showed the background that we have a clinic that is offering women um, a choice. They offer a lot of services, but if you have taken the first of two abortion pills and changed your mind, within 24 hours you can get progesterone, which is widely given to women who um, are, are at risk of miscarriage or early delivery. I, I take progesterone as a part of hormone replacement. It's a natural hormone. Um, and it can be effective in reversing that abortion for women that choose it. And it's, and it's only about women's choice and to deny women's choice and then to deny a medical clinic from being able to offer a medical choice is clearly against the, the First Amendment's exercise of religion. Um, to the case of, uh, because as the, the decision points out, this particular clinic wants to help women, sees uh, helping women and helping babies as being a core part of their Catholic ministry. Um, it's a, it's a good-sized clinic. They do a lot of things, but this is core to it. So stopping them from making this, uh, this available is a violation of their free exercise. The law also violates their First Amendment rules, uh, First Amendment rights in terms of communicating what they do. Um, I, you know, I think about my own OBGYN, they don't offer abortions. Um, it's just not something they give. So if you think that aborting a child is, is part of a comprehensive um, a package, you're free to use the word comprehensive in that way. If you believe that only life-affirming uh, medical care that, that produces life and helps people, if that's comprehensive, then you can use comprehensive that way. For the government to come in and say, oh no, we're going to define comprehensive and you can't use it, is clearly a violation of the First Amendment. Everybody has a right to free speech and saying that you provide comprehensive health care is something that this, this clinic does and should be able to continue to do. As for the second case, I think there's clear precedence there as well. Um, the, uh, and they're not the only ones bringing suit. They are the only ones in this, uh, to which the injunction is directed. Um, but uh, the Catholic Archdiocese is also bringing a suit, saying that you, you know, there's clear, clear precedence that the government cannot discriminate against faith-based providers that provide a service for which they would otherwise be eligible. And so to have, you know, we, we, have, we live in a diverse country. 
Um, there is a diversity of thought around sexual ethics, around gender and sex. Um, if, if somebody wants a preschool where their little boy can use the little girl's bathroom, I'm sure there are preschools that would make that available. But a faith-based faith-based uh, preschool that holds to a, a different worldview should not have the government arbitrarily come in, discriminate, and force them to violate their own their own ethics, their own uh, their own beliefs, and I think the, the Supreme Court's already ruled on this. I think uh, the, the injunction obviously will hold, but I think the broader case will be decided in favor of the litigants. Last word? Nope. You know, I agree with the last sentiment that I think it will likely, I think, given our, our jurists and given some of the most recent Supreme Court president, be um, decided, you know, in favor of the plaintiff. Um, I think I would continue to disagree in dissent as other justices had that if you are uh, getting benefits from the public, if we as the public are essentially funding these reimbursement vouchers via our taxpayers' uh, money, uh, you should not be able to discriminate against the public. If you um, have that belief, then at the end of the day, uh, you can fund your own sort of scholarship programs. You can do uh, what it is uh, that you need to do to you know, bring folks into your preschool. But at the end of the day, if you want the taxpayer, federal, state funded money coming to your institution, you should not discriminate or violate our anti-discrimination laws. I I got to interrupt, though. That the, the state has not said it's been discrimination. And as far as tax money going to this, this school, um, Christians pay tax, taxes, too. Should their tax money not go to it? So with First Amendment cases, and we've seen this with both Creative 303 Master Shop and both of these cases, frankly, because neither in neither of these cases have the laws been enforced against them, you can do a much more preemptive um, sort of challenge of the law if, and I think Domenico actually lays it out in the first part of his opinion, if you can arguably um, be subject to uh, enforcement of this law as adversely to you, then you can bring the lawsuit. And that's why standing and even uh, ripeness were both sort of beaten back. And I think the, in both um, situations, the AG and the government tried to advance these like standing and ripeness um, challenges, but because you have so much protections in the First Amendment, you can almost do this sort of preemptive lawsuit. So that's how, you know, without the enforcement, they're able to still get this in and have standing. Um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, if there are anti-discrimination laws in your state or across your country, and you want, you know, money from those institutions, um, then yeah, I think those are the laws. And at the end of the day, you should not run afoul of those laws and also benefit from the public funding. Um, and then just to respond very briefly to this idea of comprehensive can mean whatever you want it to mean. You know, folks who are in crisis, who are trying to you know, seek out a particular service and maybe make a very um, complex and life-changing life trajectory changing decision about their health and they go into a clinic under the guise that it is a full service family medicine and OBGYN medical center when in actuality it is this sort of combination of medical center and religious ministry and in a lot of cases are going to be talked out of and not even given 
the sort of point counterpoint um, or objective advice around their health care, um, I think is the reason why we don't want to have this deceptive uh, advertising. I, it's not deceptive, though, given the fact that a lot of OBGYNs do not provide abortion. Um, I, I, if I go to my orthopedist, they don't provide suicide pills. Um, I, I can talk to them about surgeries without getting that option. Um, just because a doctor doesn't provide an option doesn't mean it's not comprehensive. Also, abortion is allowed in this state up until birth. So if a person does change their mind, having gone to an OBGYN that does not provide abortion, that doesn't mean the next day or two months later or five months later, they can't go to a facility that does provide that service. But I would distinguish a facility that does not provide the service from a facility that has a specific agenda to promote life-affirming care that is driven by their religious philosophy. So it's one thing to just not provide it. It's another thing to have an agenda that goes completely against it and then to represent to the public that you do it all. And when they get into your facility, you're trying to essentially talk them out the other way. And also, I think getting a, an abortion much later in term um, in a lot of ways is a much different decision than, you know, going in and asking for the morning after pill or getting these very early term abortions where you take you know uh, the, the the two pills sort of back to back so i think telling folks that you know you can always do this sort of later in your term even up until birth um just the the the, the, the decisions are not similar would you be view. okay with a secular organization that um say my own OBGYN, for example, is not a faith-based institution. It's just a doctor's office that doesn't provide abortion. Would you be okay with a secular clinic that doesn't provide abortion using the term comprehensive? I think if there was not a stated agenda to promote life-affirming care, if you go in there and you say, look, here's our options. We don't, uh, we don't um, provide ab abortion. Here's some places that do. That's one thing. You're giving them this sort of objective, which is why I think it's dangerous when you conflate religion and, and medicine. Um, but when you have a stated objective to go against and not provide this type of care and to actually do the opposite, to promote life-affirming care, but then you represent to the public that you do it all, that's where I think there's a distinction and a difference. Okay. All right. Thank you. Almost every car, SUV, and pickup truck for sale in Colorado in less than a decade will be powered by a rechargeable battery. The Air Quality Control Commission has passed a requirement for EVs to make up 82% of dealer lots by 2032. Chris, that's not that far away. It's not that far away at all. And really, to talk about the law and the rebates and, and the EVs coming online, I think I want to take it down to a personal level. Look. I wear heels and I drive a truck. I drive a pickup truck. And the reason I drive a pickup tr truck is because I have a horse that I haul with the pickup truck. I haul hay. I haul firewood. And, and there's nothing that EVs offer that can do the work that a ranch truck can do. The other thing is I can only afford what I can afford. So I drive my pickup truck in downtown Denver. I would love to have an EV. I care about the environment. I care about clean air. I, I was very unhappy this 
summer in Denver. I wanted to go to the mountains where the air is a lot cleaner. But at the same time, I can only afford what I can afford. And with, even with the generous rebates that are made available, I cannot afford an EV. So when we have mandates like this, I, I don't know that they're good for people, and I don't know that they're good for business. Additionally, I'm not sure that the grid will be able to handle the load of electric cars that are going to come on the market. And yes, it is in a very short time. I've been also stuck in a Colorado snowstorm on a highway, and I was thankful that I was in a gas-powered engine, or a vehicle that was powered by a gas engine. So, yeah, we have a short amount of time to make great strides. We'll see if it happens. Patty? Well, the issue of the rebates, and the big ones are gone now, is, a bit, is important because people are not going to be able to afford this, not just Chris, but there are a lot of other people who are not as successful, perhaps, as Chris, who are definitely not going to be able to afford these cars. So that's one issue, but maybe the prices will be coming down by the time we get to 2032 enough to make it uh, more equitable. But in the meantime, we also have another shortage, which is there are no people who know how to repair these cars, or not that many. And I'll bring a personal issue. I had a niece who was driving across the country in her new, uh, her new used EV, and it, needed, it broke down at the first stop. And it's going to take months to fix because there are so few people who can repair the cars around the country. So that's another issue but we've got nine years to fix it. <laughs> I, I'm not as successful as Chris. Um, I certainly cannot provide, I cannot give myself a new car. I drive a car with, with 205,000 miles on it. Um, it's, it's what I've got, it's what I can afford. Um, and there are a lot of people out there like me, driving older cars, doing what they can, they can't afford to buy a new car. And there's just some kind of irony that my tax dollars and tax dollars of people who are even, I guess, even less successful than Chris and, and me, um, sorry, <laughs> I keep using that, um, that, are, um, that, that, that their tax dollars are going to fund people driving Teslas. That just seems a little unfair to me. Also, if you look at our grid, it's powered about 76% of it is powered by by fossil fuels, so that's natural gas and coal. We actually are more reliant on coal than the national average. So we're already using fossil fuels to generate electricity. So in a sense, your car is like a, a, a coal-powered car rather than a gasoline-powered car if you have an EV. Not against EVs, but unless we have nuclear power, we are, uh, which is the only one that could, the only non-fossil fuel power that could really generate fully for a grid, these cars are going to be powered by fossil fuels one way or the other. I mean, an EV of utopia where everyone is driving around in electric vehicles and there's a charging station on every corner, it, I mean, it's music to my ears, but I'm, I'm kind of with everybody. I, I don't see how we're going to scale this and are we just sort of exporting, um, you know, the, the, the fossil fuels to other areas? I mean, we talked about you know, 12,000 people potentially being evicted next year. You know, we're in, in the throes of this homelessness crisis. Um, you know, EVs have not even been remotely affordable, even with um, all of the government subsidies. Um, I don't see how you're going to do this, you know, in nine years and have affordable EVs. And uh, the, the repair thing was something I didn't even necessarily think about. Like, how much are repair shops going to charge uh, to fix these, right? Because it's supply and demand. And if there's not much supply, but there's lots of demand, it just, our working folks are, are, are just, you know, kind of everyday people going to be able to afford this transition. Or is this just going to sort of be a utopia only for the people who can afford to drive a Tesla or a Ford Lightning? 
Mm -hmm. Okay. Now it's time for the panel to share what each has seen as a high or a low of the week. Let's start with the low so we can end on the high, Patty. Well, it's disgraceful that we've had this whole show and never mentioned Taylor Swift. So <laughs> let me do that now. She will be here maybe Sunday maybe. for the Kansas City Chiefs game. So, yes, war in the Middle East, homelessness, deaths in Maine, but Taylor Swift is coming, and we will all be reading about it. I heard she's, like, boost the GDP. I, well, there I, is that. Yeah, Maybe heard, she will give us all EVs. Yeah, we'll all get EVs. <laughs> so that was, we'll like, <laughs> that was like a shame and a compliment at the same time. Well done. Um, I'm going to give it to the GOP in, in, in Congress for picking an election denier. Um, I understand Mike Johnson is a good guy. Johnson is a good guy um, and, and otherwise respected and liked. But I'm thinking you had 220 people to choose from and you picked an election denier. Really? You could have done it a little bit differently. Tyrone. The snow. I mean, I love the snow. I love taking my kids sledding in the snow. I love getting up to the mountains. But it always gets so darn cold right around Halloween when I'm having to walk around for hours with my three kids just freezing my butt off. So um, maybe if it just come a little bit later next year, we don't see this temperature drop, maybe put it like mid, midway through November. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my, my, my sad thing for the week. That's okay. A lot of people feel that way with Halloween. <laughs> Well, Kristen and I should have checked with each other ahead of time because I picked Congress, too. So I will take a different slant on it, and I'll bring it back to Colorado. You know, we saw Congressman Ken Buck pretty central in this whole fiasco. It was a fiasco. And it started out with, we're getting rid of Kevin McCarthy because uh, of spending. We need to stop this spending. Then it migrated to, I will not support an election denier, to, as Krista pointed out, now an election denier has been elected. Um, it, it was an unfortunate thing. We have lost three weeks. We've got to pass, you know, a budget so that the government can keep functioning. We'll see how that all goes down. There's aid on the line for Israel and Ukraine. Um, it was a huge embarrassment. Mm -hmm. All right, let's end with something positive. Patty? I want to take a minute to remember Steve Sander. He was Denver's first marketing officer a marketing mensch, just a great guy who gave us B-cycles, so many things around town. He took his own life, um, and his family wanted people to know that because, first of all, they, they want people to know you can go out and get mental health if you need it. So Steve Sander, who always gave great positive messages, actually there's a positive message there too. At his memorial, everyone was greeting each other, remembering how he always ended every conversation with love ya, and everyone believed it. And you wrote a really loving article in Westward about his life. And, and people sent in great comments about Steve mm -hmm. Sander. Mm -hmm. So think about him. He loved this city. He made it better. Mm -hmm. I, I want to give thumbs up to the snow um, and, to and to Mother Nature in general, because I just read that the Colorado River Basin, thanks to last year's heavy snow, um, is is, hasn't rectified the situation by any means. but. Uh, Lake Mead and Lake Powell are, are not, I mean, they're still in the red, but it's not as bad as we thought it could be thanks to last year. We need lots of snow this year as well. And for the record, I'm happy about the snow, but for my own selfish personal reasons. On Tuesday. I'm a little bit bummed about Tuesday. Um, my positive thing, I spoke about a lawsuit that the, um, was filed by an Aspen 
um, school district against some of the social media companies for um, the damage that they had done to their students. It was a, a novel concept. Um, I, I think it, it sort of happened earlier this year, but our AG has now joined um, and is filing a lawsuit along with a number of other states, Maryland, Missouri, South Carolina, Minnesota, Florida, under many of the same legal theories. Um, we're one step, I think, closer to, to holding these uh, companies accountable in the way that they've needed to be for a long time. I agree with Krista again on the snow. Snow is water. But what I picked this week was a 104-year-old Chicago woman who jumped out of a plane yes. 13,500 feet in the air. Her name's Dorothy Hoffner. Um, she is awaiting to see if she qualifies as the world record. It was previously held by a woman who was 103. And the favorite thing that she said is age is just a number. I love that. All right, that's good. My pause of the week is not only the recognition of the life and impact of Steve Sander, who is such a beloved behind-the-scenes figure in Denver, but also at the state level, I want to recognize uh, Sharon Eubanks, who is retiring as the director of the Legislative Legal Services after 37 years in that office in the state capitol. Sharon has been one of the one who has put the ideas on paper, worded the legislation, worked on drafts over and over. She worked on things like the scientific and cultural facility district, the legislation that created the Denver Metro Office of Major League Baseball Stadium, which created a team here. She worked a lot on Tabor when that was passed. So she's done a lot for our state and for all of us. So congratulations on a 39-year career. What is that, by 37? 37, that's amazing. Thank you all for joining us this week. Thank you all for joining us on your TV, your device, or if you're listening to our podcast, we appreciate it. Have a wonderful week. Have a good Halloween, no matter what the weather. Mm -hmm. And I will see you next week here on PBS 12.